So welcome here. I'm glad that you were here uh, this morning. It's good to be here with you. Uh, I'll move around a little bit. I have a lot of stuff, and I know we have uh, an hour, and where might go? You're responsible for keeping me on track, okay? So I've got more slides than minutes. I'm just going to say that right now. So we will go fairly quickly through this, and I just want to let you know, I have taught for, uh, this is year number 32, I believe, uh, three years in Sioux Center, Iowa, uh, at Sioux Center Christian, and then the rest of those at Unity. And I'm, I went to Unity as a student, grew up in Huntsville, Michigan, and uh, yeah, kind of a typical story. I never thought of myself of ever being a teacher, didn't really care for school. You hear those stories all the time. So God works in, in uh, mysterious ways. So I just want to be clear about this as we start today, that I don't come to you uh, today as some sort of an expert on what you should do with your school. And I, I say that humbly, humbly because everybody in this room this morning has their unique culture in their own community and within their own school. So a lot of what I share is things that are uh, sort of personal to our experience at Unity, but I do think there's a lot of it that sort of carries over to uh, what you may have experienced and what you maybe are experiencing as well. And so with this, uh, just so you know, I, I will take a, a look back, okay, and then I'll take a look at where we are, and maybe take a look, take a look at where we're going to go. Some of you are familiar with uh, a guy named Walt Bueller from the CPYU, Center for Parent Youth Understanding. He has this, uh, this phrase called a map and mirror, right? And what he means by that is that any event that occurs culturally or even just in terms of news, uh, serves as, there's your marker, okay? And that, that event serves as a map for where we're headed because of what happened, but it also serves as a mirror of where we've come from to get to that point. So uh, 2020, the, the whole thing, you could separate them individually by events or look at the whole thing. That's a map and mirror moment. Like, where did we come from to get there? Uh, but now where are we going with that as well? And that's a little bit of what I hope to maybe talk through a little bit with you this morning. So we're going to need a bigger boat. I have to tell you, this summer I field tested this with our office staff uh, at Unity because I just didn't know. So I, I just want an honest kind of a response on this one. How many of you know, like for sure, the cultural reference of where that comes from? Okay, you're at least 40. No, maybe not. Or you're just really in tune with culture. How many of you honestly have no idea where that comes from, culturally speaking? Okay, that's, that's what I found in the office at school, too. What in the world? What does that have to do with anything? Well, just so you know, this is where it comes from, right? From the original Jaws movie. And if that picture does not represent 2020, I don't know. I don't know what else does or what, right? So I, I was not allowed to see this movie when I was a kid. My parents would never have allowed me to watch Jaws, so I watched it years and years after actually it was released in the theaters. And the actual line, we're going to need a bigger bowl, comes from a particular scene in the movie where uh, Hooper here is tossing chum out into the water. Okay? Kind of like we do in class every day. Just tossing out the chum. Right? <laughs> and he has no idea what's going on. And all of a sudden, he doesn't see it, but there's the great white that comes out of the water. And at that point, he has no clue. Well, he soon realizes that this gigantic thing, this beast is coming out of the water, and then you see this shot here, right? 
I feel like that was me in 2020. <laughs> during much of 2020, and that's when he says to the guy running the boat, I think we're going to need a bigger boat because of the size of the shark. So there's your cultural reference. You know something now maybe you didn't know before. right? So that, that's kind of where this comes from. Like we didn't know what we were getting into uh, educationally when 2020 began. There was no way you could know all this stuff. And we, we probably will have points where we don't necessarily see eye to eye on some of the things I'll mention. But in, in my opinion, two parts of the, two professional parts of culture that were affected the most by 2020 were schools and healthcare facilities. Those are two, like, those two places are where the battle lines often were drawn. Where schools across the country and healthcare facilities, really around the world, not just in America as well. So as we get into this, I always like, if you've ever seen one of my presentations before, you'll know I use this a lot. And uh, I'll just read it with you. It says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Second Timothy 2, 23-25. That, for me personally, has always been sort of a teacher creed of how I deal with and work with my students. And historically, I was given this suggestion by a parent, like in my second year working at Unity. Uh, they said to me, it was a mom, said, can you just look up this passage? It was at parent-teacher conferences when you get back to your room. Because they had a challenging daughter. And the mom gave it to me to say, you know, can you think of my daughter when you read this passage? And I've, I've always remembered that, you know, 20-some years later. So in my mind, I, I always thought this, of, this is from a teacher to a student. But completely honest, uh, now, teacher to community. Uh, a little bit as well, right? Like, okay, let's think about this. So I still use it with kids. It still matters, but I also use it now uh, in other ways as well. And then this one too, there is no fear in love. Perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And that, that fear and love kind of opposition uh, that was a huge thing. There were a lot of things that were done in fear, sort of talked about as if it were love uh, during this whole period of time as well. And we certainly, again, probably could look at this in a different way, but one of the, the phrases that I liked at first and started to bug me after a while was uh, faith over fear, because it, it felt like it got sort of politicized or agendized. It's not a word, but uh, you get what I mean, I think. And, and so faith, what, what does that actually mean? People use that for a purpose that fit their desire, not necessarily for a purpose that was biblical. Uh, so that's kind of one of the reasons I put that up there. So our story, where does it start? Well, uh, literally, the week, the Sunday before the shutdown, I was at a church in Zealand, Michigan, and after the service, I did an adult ed presentation on vaping. That's what I did. And it seemed very relevant at the time that we should be talking about vaping. This is important. And so the people were really interested. And I was supposed to come back the next week for part two, like vaping part two. But I never got there. And it never, never worked out. Because that following week then, 
uh, you know, that's when the shutdown started to, all this stuff started to happen. So I was, I was talking about a lot of stuff related to social media. Some of you have been to other presentations that I've done. It's just culture and kids and community and family. The stuff that seemed like this was at the top of the food chain in terms of stuff we have to deal with with our, our young people. Whether it was, and we still do, right? Pornography didn't go anywhere uh, over the years of COVID. In fact, it got worse. A lot of these things actually amplified during the years of COVID. They didn't go away, but they have seemed to stay sort of taking a, a backseat to some of the other stuff that has popped up. Um, I talked a lot about social media and cell phones back then. I had a presentation on cell phones about a month before the shutdown occurred. And again, had parents come like, this is the thing we have to address, and all of a sudden just went away. So I want to take you back to November 2019. And I know some of you have probably tried to repress these memories, but I'm going to bring them up a little bit for you, just so you can think a little bit about maybe where you were in your school situation. Part of my job as the director of spiritual life at Unity is, is chapel. Okay, and we, we do chapel four days a week for about 17 to 20 minutes a day. And we're thinking about, in November, what are we going to do during for our chapels, you know, the, the following year? And I thought, you know, this is a huge opportunity. This is a big-time opportunity because we already knew that the election cycle had started, and I thought this is this is great. I even like 2020 vision, you know, all these cool sayings. Like everybody else in the universe was going to use that one too. Um, but I, it was all like, this is a real huge opportunity for us to do something really, really cool. Well, that didn't work out so well, uh, obviously, and it didn't take COVID for that to occur, but. Um, those plans, sort of by January, like, well, okay, I got to rethink this because some parts of our community weren't ready for that conversation and couldn't handle that conversation. It just got a little bit out of hand. That was January and February, right? So we got a little bit of underneath here. Uh, then March 12 and 13. How many of you can remember specifically? Like, you remember the day. You shut down. You can remember it now. Okay. I just don't know uh, because of all your schools. How many of you, like when in Michigan, the governor came on late on Thursday night and announced the shutdown, right? And then most of the public schools in our area, they didn't go to school on Friday. They were just done. Uh, some schools, mine included, we went to school on Friday to try to get our act together before we sent kids away. So how many of you were done on Thursday, or excuse me, you were already done on, on that Friday. You were out of school. Okay, how many of you weren't done until the following Monday? Okay. And yeah, you're going to try to get your stuff together in about six hours of a class where the kids are completely bonkers uh, and haywire and everything else. At Unity, we had a, uh, a, a chapel day, okay, and we were told several hours before by the governor, please do not gather in large assemblies. So we brought all 700 of our kids together in the gym in tight space for an assembly. Because uh, we wanted to talk about, you know, what we were going to, what was going to happen. And we wanted to put up a, a biblical sort of a underpinning in this whole thing. But that's where it began. And I remember going to class that day with my kids. And uh, one of my leadership classes, one kid specifically said, I feel like we'll probably be back in about a week. And there was a lot of kids like, yeah, I think so too. And if I'm totally honest, I thought, yeah, yeah, I think they're probably overdoing this. Uh, it probably, maybe by next week Friday, we'll be back, right? And whoops, you know, I'm, I'm not a very good predictor. Uh, I, I found that out as well. 
and we're all sick of this little stupid looking thing, right? We've seen this in the movies. I think it was on a local news station by in uh, by the Grand Rapids area. Every day for about two years, uh, it was in the background on their you know on the page. So you just you saw it everywhere. But again, I thought personally when when the whole COVID thing started out, I kind of thought to myself, this too. This really is an opportunity. This is an opportunity because the political landscape was really messy at that time. And this was an opportunity to try to maybe unify people around something that wasn't political. <laughs> I am so stupid right? in the world. So 85%, um, just so you know, 85% of of people, bipartisan agreement uh, with the first couple of weeks of the decisions on, on shutdown. There was about an 85% approval rating across party lines during the first two weeks of whatever shutdowns were occurring. Most people were like, okay, I guess this makes sort of good sense. Uh, and obviously that, that changed. But I thought, this is our chance. Who could be mad at a virus? Right? I mean, there's not a person. And clearly, it didn't take long before, as I call it, the great reveal uh, began. What I mean by that is COVID didn't start the fire. Right? COVID was just the, uh, well, the last little catalyst that lit the already burning fire underneath it. it. It revealed what was already there. And so you can blame COVID because it was the last thing, but COVID just showed us who we already really were. Uh, it just gave us a reason to kind of get out there more with the stuff that was really already going on. So again, April 2020, there's your, there's your month, right? There's when it kind of all began. It showed us something about where we were going to go, but you had to take a look at where we came from. And if you did, you probably would have seen a little bit more like, well, this is not necessarily the shock that we maybe thought it was at first. But I'm speaking for myself a little bit on that as well. This is a, a phrase that is from Thomas Hobbes, which isn't biblical, but it's just interesting, which is, hell is truth revealed too late. Like, whoops. Right? When you realize a little too late what actually really is real, uh, that's hell. right? It's a, and you can decide for yourself, well, what did we sometimes culturally realize a little bit too late, and we should have really figured it out maybe a little earlier and addressed some of that stuff. Now, would it have been easy? No. Uh, but it certainly showed us where we were. And it didn't take long at all for CNN and places like that to manipulate people's fear and anxiety for profit. Uh, news organizations back then made a ton of money. Now, for some of you, you're like, wait a second, why did you pick CNN? Well, there you go. <laughs> Just to be fair, we'll be across the board here. It didn't take news organizations very long uh, to figure out, like, we can make a lot of money on this. I don't know the time for this right now, but you could do some of your own research and look at the amount of money that was made in the media world on COVID. It's unbelievable. Right? One uh, person from one of the news organizations, I won't get into politics, so you just hear that literally made, because of COVID, about 14 to $16 million over the two years of 2020, 2021 because of COVID coverage. Before that, they were making about one to two million. Right? So you can do your own research on that if, you, if you're curious, but it's just phenomenal how that affected us. So how many of you don't know somebody who is glued to, whether it's 
the CNNs or the Fox Newses, that's where their world revolves around. Whatever this person or that person, that's, and now you, as a school, you have to sift through that. How are we going to work through a preconceived understanding of what truth actually really is? That could be really difficult. All right. Uh, in Michigan, in April 2020, one of the things that I remember first that sort of made an impact was Operation Gridlock. And if you don't remember what that was, that was when people, because of the social media, right, plays a huge part, decided to go on traffic jam lands in Michigan. How many of you Michiganders in here you remember that? Operation of Gridlock. Now, if you were there, okay, I'm not trying to say something negative about you, right? This is not a personal thing, but it was just one of those first things that people said, we're tired of this. And this was about mid-April that that started to occur. So already, the worm is starting to turn. And this got, obviously, a lot of media coverage in Michigan, and it started a series of events that lasted for quite some time. Uh, then, we go into the summer. Most of you, obviously, have were, were done with school for the entire rest of the school year, and you go into the summer, not knowing really what's going to happen. That's when teacher retirement started to increase as well. Trying to finish off that school year, and then going into, well, the possibility of a, a weird next year, a lot of teachers like, yeah, I'm out. Right? There was a, a number from our area, too, that just decided we can't do this. The summer was a difficult, difficult summer. I think most of you remember that. And you weren't in session at that time, but if you were in administration, you were probably already getting phone calls. Uh, I know we were, uh, for sure. Even though it was only June, uh, we were already getting those phone calls. And all the things that happened, I don't know if you could pack more controversy into one summer than happened in the summer of 2020, right, uh, from different parts. And I remember specifically being in a campground uh, out in Holland, and you couldn't use the bathroom in the campground, you couldn't use the pool, you weren't supposed to interact with the campers, but watching this on Channel 8, uh, the riots in Grand Rapids, thinking, what is going on? What in the world is going on? I couldn't believe that literally 20 miles away from where I was, there was a riot, and you see it in well, not for a long time experienced anything remotely close to this. So that was like, wow, what are we? That was the beginning of the summer. Then we get from that into the election still has to occur. We got to go back to school. How many of you had uh, circus tents outside your schools at the beginning of the school year? Okay, I have like PTSD from circus tents now. <laughs> and dead grass underneath them. Uh, and obviously, most all of you, uh, when you went to school, you were masked, probably. How many of you started the year remotely in the fall of 2020? Everybody was in one. Okay. Um, everybody, all of you were in. And if you were in administration, you got a lot of phone calls about why you should be in. And everybody had their reason why you should be in. A lot of public schools obviously weren't in at that time. And it goes on from that. It got worse, uh, into the Capitol riot, and obviously we don't have to talk a whole lot about that, but it just kind of kept on cascading, and a lot of the stuff starts to wash into school culture then as well, and we're having to deal with what is usually reserved for the political arena or the cultural arena, is now completely immersed in the school arena, and the phrase, you need to stand up, you need to stand up. I probably heard that a hundred times at least from a parent who says something about a belief that they have, that they believe that we should. You need to stand up. I don't know if you did, 
Uh, but I'm guessing you probably did as well. And it was based on a belief that they shared communally, values-wise, that they thought we should have also. Uh, and then, just kind of wrapping this little fun recap up here, um, <laughs> it got into sort of ideology. And what do we think about all these different ideologies that sort of, again, were, were revealed more because of COVID? This was one of the many protests at the Lansing State Capitol. I think that also is true in Wisconsin and in Illinois. I think those things happen there as well. But um, yeah, I think you probably remember that. Uh, and the whole issue, I don't need to ask if masks were controversial in your school. I don't need to ask that question. Uh, and I'll just be honest with you, I hate masks. And I use hate very seldom because it's a very strong word. I hate them. Not because it's the mask, but because of what that thing now represents. It, it's a, that's a symbol, right? That, that means something. But whoever is looking at it, it could mean a completely different thing from the person next to them. So because of what that's done, I hate masks, right? I, I don't even keep mine in my house where I can see them at all. I, I, I tried that whole gator thing, but you know, that was really hard to teach with that. And then those weren't good, and whatever. Uh, and so finally, we were able to kind of go mask-free uh, at school. How many of you have had to deal with this in your school? Okay, now, again, we're not going to get political. I really do not care where you are on the political spectrum. I could care less about that. What I care about is your kids and a biblical worldview. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or a liberal or whatever, I don't care. I really don't care. But this, do you see this? I want you to notice this. Okay, This is tying... Uh, an ideology or a belief system to a faith, okay, to a belief system. So the thing that I, and I put this up in Chapel at Unity, and I said to our kids, our students, you have to decide, you have to decide if you can take your belief in whatever political party or affiliation you have and literally say about a human being, F the president. Can you do that as a Christian? Now, a lot of Christians believe they can, but that's probably where the pot gets third for us in a Christian school because we have a right to say these things. You heard that expression in the last couple years? We have a right to do this. You can't tell us we don't have a right to say these things. So at Unity, we ban all political everything. Can't have it. It just makes it easier, right? Because if you can fly that, you can fly something else. And it's just completely, from a Christian perspective, inappropriate. Now, I'm gonna, you're all adult professional teachers, so I'm going to show you something that is offensive. This is already offensive, but I'm going to show you something more offensive. But I can do that because you're adults, you're in, a, in communities where you need to understand, like I do, how some people see this. Note the contradiction on this picture. Do you see it? So I will, I will, I will self-incriminate a little bit on this one because I'm confident that a lot of your communities wouldn't be a whole lot different necessarily. Uh, this was posted on a uh, Instagram account that was started by one of our students. And this got 60 likes from our students, right? And I said, what's going on at your school? Well, probably the same thing that's going on at your school, uh, most likely. And what a lot of people really never because I, sh I showed a different version of this to our kids. And I, obviously there's issues here. I don't care about the fact that this is the person they're supporting. I don't care about that. But what I have great concern about is 
this, and all that that could represent, and then this over here. Okay, and then I hold the Bible. What? Uh, let them know what that means. Let them, I don't know who this person is. They don't live in Hudsonville. I think they go to South. topic. 
I won't get into what it was, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the conversation, the mom said that, I just want you to tell me, Dan, just tell me this is a conservative school. That's what I want to know. Tell me this is a conservative school. And I looked at our principal, who was sitting right next to me, and I said, well, it isn't a conservative school. It's a Christian school. It's not conservative or liberal or Democrat or Republican. It's Christian. And they were not happy with that answer. They weren't. I don't think they know that I'm using them right now in this presentation, but it doesn't really matter, right? Um, that's the kind of stuff that we are, in a, in a sense, sorting through. As a little side note, uh, this was written in 2017. Uh, if you ever have a chance, you might want to just take a look at it, called The Death of Expertise. Tom Nichols could not have known what was going to happen after he wrote this book, that uh, COVID was going to occur. But it basically, the premise of this book is that um, nobody's an expert anymore because everybody's an expert. You know everything. And so real actual experts who have real actual degrees and have really actually studied and really actually know what they're talking about don't know any more than someone who just saw something on Twitter last night. Right? Because that's not right. So the death of expertise culturally has affected us a lot as well. Right? So really what we're looking at in terms of our battle is the isms of the world. And uh, you, you could decide what order. These are not in order of relevance necessarily, but you could decide in terms of most concerning to least concerning how you would rank those for you or your school. But I do believe it's at the top just coincidentally, but individualism is a big part of the isms that cause problems in Christian community. Because Christianity is all about community, and individualism is nothing about community. And if that's a problem, like it has to be my way, then it's going to cause an issue within our school communities. Clearly, consumerism, humanism, narcissism, hedonism, all those things, there could be more. I just listed the ones that I sort of deal with the most in community uh, by us. But we're in a land where all these isms come up. And what really is that? I'll get to that in just a second. So this is, uh, for, for those of you who have, have uh, relatives, friends, whatever, looking forward to this, is a very recent event, obviously. It's an incredibly destructive hurricane. And the reason I put this up here is that um, I remember on that, I was watching the, you know, the news that day and seeing someone who was around this, the Fort Myers area when the eyewall actually had passed and they were in the center, right? And it was, it, was, it wasn't sunny or anything, but it was a whole lot more calm than it was a little earlier. And anybody who's lived in hurricane areas knows that, well, the backside's still coming. Right, it's still coming. So, I think out here, uh, this is 2020 until now. I think right now we're we're living in the uh, the eyewall. I think we're in the middle. We haven't figured this stuff out yet. So now maybe this eyewall is for years. I don't know. But if you feel like, yeah, I think we got in our community, we got all this stuff figured out. We're good. Then then it was just a thunderstorm. Okay. But for other communities, we're like, now we, we really have to sort some stuff out yet. The backside is still coming. And uh, are we going to be ready for that? At time, probably. But nobody thought COVID was going to happen either. So what have we learned from the past? 
And this is something I, I love this phrase, and it's, I love when it was written to uh, Carl Truman said, the task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment in which he or she lives, but to understand his problems and respond appropriately to them. If you can get your hands on anything by Carl Truman as an author, it is worth reading. It is certainly above high school level uh, in terms of what you would teach from him, but little nuggets like that, that's on my, my board in my room so that kids can see it. Don't tell me the problem. Tell me what you're going to do. I just spent the last whatever talking about the problem, but I could say, you know, go in peace and good luck, but there has to be more uh, to it than just that. But I do think this is a really relevant thing to, for Christians to consider. So as we redeem our story, the decision for Christian schools is which war are we fighting? And a lot of people in culture talk about the culture war, and that usually comes down to how I perceive a values-based decision on whatever issue. That's the culture war. Again, I know you get that, but I don't like to use in a Christian context the understanding of a culture war. I don't think that works uh, for us. Instead, I believe it's a worldview war. Uh, it's all about the worldview that you have that determines how you understand what actually is capital T truth. And I have a, a book here, um, brand new, by Alyssa Childers, who I also would highly recommend, um, called Live Your Truth. I, I just got it yesterday from Amazon. And uh, it's about truth and what it can mean to people, what it should mean to people. And in school, I talk about it as capital T truth or lowercase t truth. What is your truth and what is the truth? And part of what we learned in COVID is everybody thinks they're right and has a market on the what they think is capital T truth, but it really isn't. And worldviews often supply a lot of false truth, false absolutes. So, for example, right now, obviously, in Michigan especially with Proposal 3, we're not going to get into the politics of it, you, your decision on this uh, will come down to a variety of different things. But for a Christian educator, part of their understanding of anything, whether it's this, whether it's this, whether it's kids who struggle with issues, is what's the worldview approach through which I see this, whatever social issue that you have. Not what's my opinion or what do I feel is best. Like, what do I back this up with that is scriptural and that will hold the test of time? Not as going to be good for today, but not good for the future. And that's a worldview thing. Okay, what is a biblical worldview? Um, I brought this here to, as well. I'm giving you lots of things just to think about. There's a book that I would highly recommend for anybody called Faithfully Different. Faithfully Different. It's by Natasha Crane. It's based on a lot of research that she has done. And I gave this to my seniors in a leadership class, and we're working through this in our class right now. And what she found in her research about a secular culture Christians in a secular culture is that for people in America who profess to be Christian, they profess Christianity, but what actually is their worldview? Like, what is it? And she found that of all Christians, depending on where they lived, the region of the country where they were, between 6 and 12% of Christians actually possess a solid biblical worldview. The rest have a worldview, and they, they would say they're Christian. But the way they express that through their beliefs and their lives is not a biblical worldview. And that's something I want us to sort of consider. There's a, something that was put out recently by, by a group called the Ligonier Ministries called the State of Theology. I would uh, encourage you to check that out online as well, the State of Theology. And what that showed is that people really, we're, we're just really not sure about what is true in the Bible, like the divinity of Jesus. 
okay, the resurrection, the, the, um, the truth of the Bible, is it really actually true or is it just a collection of myths? We're really strong in Christian culture on like values-based things, but in terms of core beliefs, we're, we're shifting on that, and that is impacting our schools uh, as well. So another thing as we think about this is uh, our viewpoint. And this is sort of a perspective thing as you frame the conversation with your school. I think it's really important to recognize whether you see things as positives or potential always negatives. So opportunities or obstacles, are you for or against something? Schools that thrive, churches that thrive, organizations that thrive tend to identify themselves by what they are for and what they do, not by what they are opposed to. Right? So I went to a bookstore, a very small bookstore, many years ago with my dad, and the bookstore was run by a, a local church. And the guy in there was a volunteer, and, and uh, he was very excited about the bookstore. Uh, it didn't have very many books, but he was excited to be there. So um, he said, where do you guys go to church? So we told him. He said, well, do you want to know where I go to church? He's like, sure. And so he tells us, and he says to us, do you like your church? And my dad and I both go to the same church. So we're like, yeah, we, we do like our church. It's one of those conversations where you know they want you to ask them the same question back, and they're not really totally ready to have like this conversation right now. So he's like, you know, I was like, oh, do you like your church? You know, and he's like, oh, yeah, I love, love, love the church. Love it. Good. That's great. Why do you love your church? You want to know why? No, frankly, but okay, just go ahead and, and, uh, and tell me. And he says, well, I love my church because, and he listed like five or six things that he loved about his church, and every one of them was framed in the negative. We don't do this. We don't believe this. We never practice this. Like, not one of them was a positive reference. It was all negative. So I have a really good idea of what they don't do in that church, and what they don't believe. I, really don't, I couldn't tell you what they believe or what they do. Because he didn't say anything about it. So if your school is, well, we don't believe in, we don't support, we don't practice, versus what do you actually do uh, in your school? That's what parents want to know. What do you do and, as opposed to what do you not do? Sometimes parents want you to tell the community what you're not going to do in your school. We will not have transgender bathrooms in our school. We will not. We will support all students in this school, even in their struggles. That's a worldview difference right there. It doesn't mean you're putting in transgender bathrooms. It just means you're supporting people. Ever have someone say, right, we heard. Those are swear words in Christian education. <laughs> hey, we heard. A lot of those are anonymous, of course, but uh, yeah. Who said that? It doesn't matter. We just heard. We heard that. Yeah, you know what I heard? Oh. <laughs> All right, so as we sort of move towards, okay, what do we actually do? How do we go towards something here? What, what will we do? And these are, these are only suggestions from me, and I say this hopefully with humility because I don't, like I said, pretend to have all the answers. Unity Christian High School in Hudsonville, Michigan does not have all this stuff figured out. We are working just like you are, like, what are we going to do? And some days it feels like we have no idea what we're doing uh, because it's just there's so much stuff. But we faithfully try to continue what is it that is ultimately our goal and what are we after here. So a couple things to consider. We are, and uh, I think you are too, you have to decide as an organization, as a school, what is your actual lens? What is the thing through which you see everything? 
And I know, I know the, the quick answer is the Bible is our lens. That's the, and that's the right answer. And I, I like to use this picture because as anybody who has glasses, and I can see a bunch of us doing here, you sit behind that thing and the little change, it's amazing how much worse your vision can get when they mess with that little gizmo thingy there. How about this? Is that better? I don't really know, actually. I have no idea. Uh, but when you change the lens, it changes your view. But sometimes we think we have a biblical lens, but we're calling it a biblical lens to support what we actually think is a cultural belief or a viewpoint. For example, right? Uh, a way I phrase this sometimes to parents is, you can if you if you say the Bible is your lens, okay, that's what you say. Well, and there's this issue over here. Let's just say your issue is abortion, okay? Just to pick a hugely controversial issue culturally, or if you want to pick one that's more like school related. Uh, LGBTQ, okay? Do you view that issue here through the lens of Scripture, or do you view that the lens of Scripture is through that issue? So which one's first, the cart or the horse? Is the Bible first, or is the issue first? Because if the issue is first, and the Bible is on the other side of it, then you will agendize the Bible to fit whatever it is that you want. And that, that's what happens for all. Even a lot of churches struggle with that. If the Bible is my lens, then I have to see that issue through the lens of the Bible, as opposed to the other way around. And that's, that's not an easy go. That's a very difficult thing uh, to do that. I'm not going to tell you that's easy at all. But if you're going to have a biblical lens, well, what does that really actually look like? Now, what does it mean for the real issues that we have to face? It's easy to come up with policy it's not easy to deal with people uh, because people should always come before policy. And if you're looking through a biblical lens, you have to make sure that you're faithful to the, to the lens first. This is a passage I like to use with this as well. All scriptures God believe is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the one thing I love to, to say to kids as well is the Bible is a, an old book, but it is equally relevant and seemingly more so every single year. Like, I don't, I don't know what Ronald Reagan really professed, but he is somewhat well known for saying the answer to everyone of life's problems can be found within the pages of this book. And that is still true. It is no less true than it was 1,000, 2,000 years ago. So... Put that in front of our community. Lead with the Bible. Lead with that. I think that's a hugely important thing. Second Timothy 4, when the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So the question is, who's that supposed to be for? That's a, that's a difficult one because it used to be like, oh, in a Christian school, you can kind of call out, see where the false prophecy is. But now some of those people are saying that about you. Right? They, they, they've turned the table on this. Well, how do we decide that? Well, let's go back to the lens. What lens are you choosing to see this actually through? That's important uh, on something like this. Second thing is this. It's really important to define who you are. And I'm going to flip over to this real quick a minute here. Because every school does this just a little bit differently. And how you choose to do it uh, is going to be a little bit up to you. But all of you have 
those documents that are like foundational to your school, whether it's your ministry statement, whether it's your, your constitution, whether it's your core values, your plan for ministry, whatever those things are. Those are the things that should say, as a school, who you are. It isn't your position on a specific issue in culture, right? It should be the biblical things that this is who we are. Jerry Grode is, um, is my principal at Unity, and, and he often says to parents, we haven't changed. We haven't changed. The culture around us has changed, and we're engaging the culture, but who we are, that has not changed. This is still true about us. And I think that if you know who you are and define that very clearly for your community, do you really need to have, and if you do, that is an entirely decision up to you, do you need to have policy for every single issue, cultural moment that comes up? Do you need to write a policy for that? Do you need to have a policy about transgender bathrooms? Do you need to have a policy about what if a girl kisses another girl? Do you need to have a policy? It can go on and on. You can be answering questions indefinitely. Well, who are we as a, as a school? And if you feel like who you are is stated clearly in your core documents, there shouldn't necessarily be a need to have all these specific additions to who you say you are. Because those will come and go, and then you've got to deal with the next one that comes up. And that, that's, that's hard, that's difficult. But that's what I would encourage, I try to encourage schools to think about, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? And part of that is, over time, some of you in here, your schools are, are very old. And I mean that in the, in the best possible way. You have a long generational tradition of support and Christian education in your community. I would guess that a lot of that has not really changed a ton over the years in terms of the core value of the school. But if parents trust who you say you are, they'll, they'll tend to give you a lot of rope. But if you like, well, we got to have this, we got to have this, we got to have this, you're like, well, what's going on with it? Is there a problem uh, with this? Now, we have opportunities to talk about our community, but should you address every single controversy with a specific policy statement, or should you are speak for itself? Um, this is one thing, another guy, I'm, I'm giving a lot here, I don't mean to overwhelm you with people, but David French, I don't care about your politics, uh, it's just another guy I like to read. He said this this year, Christians are sometimes adamant about policies that are difficult and flexible about virtues and mandates. I'll give you an example. Sexuality right now is incredibly complex. That's one of the areas that I am involved in in a larger community is how do we move forward as a community with an increasingly complex sort of a sexual landscape with kids. We could do a whole other hour on transgender alone, right? I've done that with other groups and it's complicated. Some people want very simple answers to a very complicated issue. It just doesn't work that way. But, on the other hand, the Bible is full of examples about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself and practice kindness. Well, I showed you some of the slides earlier from people who are very adamant about their Christianity. I don't see a whole lot of kind there. And those are the things he's talking about. We're adamant about policies and very flexible virtues. There's commandments that are absolute. Love your neighbor as yourself. What about that one? Right? And I don't mean that in a cynical way or a sarcastic way. It's just those are hard conversations sometimes to have. And in my class, I, I said it before earlier, but that's what we talk about putting the cart before the horse. Right? Make sure you have the right thing first, not the wrong thing first. 
And this is just a few examples of probably well-intentioned people, right? I don't know who this is, but this mom makes me a little nervous, right? I don't know who that mom is, but I don't, she's in your school system, and you know, but see, parents, you got to stand up. I will not be silenced. I won't be silenced on this issue. And we see that, like, my goodness, what in the world? And that makes us nervous, right? Now, this is, I don't know where this is from. I just, one of the, the, the posters, it's not from, I don't even think it's from a Christian school, but uh, this is from a, just a rally. I have found out that a lot of people who have incredibly strong views about critical theory, because it's not just a racial theory, it's a theory about a lot of different things. People who have very strong views about critical theory actually have no idea what critical theory actually really is. They have no clue. All they know is what they learned on the news or what they heard on Twitter, which is a completely one-sided affair. If your parents, or you, frankly, if all of your information comes from one side of the spectrum, you don't know what you're talking about. It's just a blunt way to say it. You have to get your information. Even if you don't agree with it, you have to hear it from both sides. Typically, folks like this, some of them don't look very happy. Um, they are very strong in what they think they know, but might not know actually what they're talking about. And I would encourage you, don't get into it. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. Go talk to the wall. It will be more enjoyable. <laughs> likely. This is a little closer to home, but um, in, in near us, there's a huge library dust-up, and you've heard many things around, uh, too, about books and banning books and this and that and everything. This is a, a public library, not a, not a school library, and I won't get into all the weeds of this thing, but a lot of people were really, really upset about a book that, or some books that were in this library. Now, I want to be clear about this. That book or those books were probably never going to be checked out of that library in the first place. Uh, I don't know, maybe your school is different. Your kids probably read like crazy in your school. <laughs> in our school, it's a bit of a challenge to get kids to read. They don't really worry about them, you know, getting log losing track of time in the local public library. <laughs> so what, what does this reflect? Well, this reflects a bit that you have to see maybe as educators. There's adult issues and there's kid issues. And sometimes we want to make things that adults get very worked up about the same thing that they think kids are getting worked up about. And frankly, kids a lot of times don't care. Or don't even know. They have no idea. All the political commercials on TV right now, I asked my students a couple weeks ago, how many of you know who this person is? There's like an ad every three ads about this person. Like two kids raise their hand. So you don't know who that is? No. Because they're just not watching the same things you are. They're just not. So this is know and nudge your community. Uh, it is good to know the community you are in. Uh, this is a hard thing for for a lot of people, myself included, and this is, I'll just say this sort of directly. You cannot resent the community in which you work. You can't resent it. If you resent the community in which you work, you should go to a different community because the parents aren't leaving, right? You have to work with them. And if you think those people are idiots and that's the way you come to work every day, it's going to come to a point where you just refuse to deal with people anymore. And that's not healthy for you, and it doesn't actually help your community. So you have to know who your community actually is. Who are these people? And you have to work with what you have in a community. But it doesn't mean you can't nudge your community. Give them a little gentle prodding. Well, let's talk about this. 
and you can do that. You're all professionals, I'm sure you can. But to the point of knowing your community, some of you have seen me uh, show this to you before, but this is the newest one. This is the 2022 Unity Christian Seniors list of things that they are concerned about. I gave them without any kind of, a, you know, sort of a, a discussion ahead of time. I said, put on a piece of paper a list of things that you feel like you need to know something about before you get out of high school. And they go from abortion up there is the, is the top left, is the most, all the way down across from left to right to the bottom uh, to the least mentioned. Now, everything from basically right uh, here, family on down, was listed five or less times total out of about 100 kids. Okay? Abortion was listed the most. That got 27 tallies. That was the most. Right? Somebody's very concerned about life and other planets. <laughs> we'll address that specifically with that individual. So then I showed the kids this list, and obviously they know Roe v. Wade. That's been on their social media all summer long. So that's, that has never been on the top 10 in my list until this year. It's never been there until this year. So then I, I showed the kids this. I said, hey, now, you see this list. I want you to give me your top five of this list. Like, okay, all these things. Now you tell me what your top five really are for next year. Give me the top five. Here they are. A seniors in high school. That's what they feel like they need to have more knowledge about. Now, does that mean they don't need to know anything else? Clearly not. But if you want to know what they're concerned about, that's where they're concerned. Right there. Now, could we have, other than LGBTQ, could we have had the same conversation 25 years ago about those things, the first five things up there? Yes, we could have. So it tells you kids are in a different world, but there's a lot of things about them that aren't really changing that much. They need the same attention about those sort of things that they always did. It doesn't matter to a high school kid what he or she should think about critical race theory. Should you talk about that? Sure, there's an opportunity to talk about that, but let's not get lost in the things that Kids need to be ready for engaging in culture after high school. These things are what they say. I don't have this figured out. It's a complicated world. And I'm not minimizing at all the, the social issues. We will talk about abortion in my class. We will talk about race in my class. We do. But I don't forget that this is where, they're, where, they're are, where they are as well. Just to the point, this is the thing in, in Grand Rapids this summer. This was a, a, a couple that bought a wedding venue. And there were, if you're from Grand Rapids area, you might know this story. There was a huge dust-up because they are Christian, it's a Christian couple. They, uh, they weren't going to allow or have uh, gay couples be able to get married in their private business. There was a big dust-up about this on the news. It was all over. There was a protest in front of it. I asked my seniors, how many of you have heard about this? Not one. Not one. Now, they're a little news ignorant. I have to, you know, I have to be honest about that. Kids are news ignorant. But when they heard about it, then they had opinions to say. But that, those opinions were based on not a whole lot of knowledge either because they didn't really know. And uh, the fourth thing, I know I'm running out of time, is you need to invite your community. We have tried to make it a practice of bringing our community in to talk with them about important things. So uh, I had our social media person uh, take a picture of our first meeting that we had with parents um, several years ago. So there it is. <laughs> yep, it's at least a million people. Probably more. Well, actually, it was more like this. Right? Uh, it, we didn't get many people. We didn't. It's hard. When you start asking your community members to come in, there's a few things that are barriers to that. One, people who come in uh, or don't come in, excuse me, often think that if I go there, people are going to think that I have a problem. 
And even adults struggle with, like, what will people think of me if I go? Even adults do. There's also the issue of just time. People are busy. Just, there's so much stuff going on, it's just very, very busy. And another one is, what if I don't agree? What if I don't agree? And we try to address that, but it's a slow process sometimes to get your people in. And then to share with your community. Uh, excuse me, share with your community. Be out there. You have social media too. Who are you? Make sure your people know this in your publications, in your social media, in your home bulletins, in your newsletters. Know your message and repeat it a lot so that anybody who comes to your school knows who you are. So if you do have a family that is interested in your school because they don't like the things that are going on in their local public school, they need to know who you are very, very clearly. Not find that out six months after their kids are enrolled. And that, I think, is one of the things we can do to help our schools out. And then finally, uh, how long will, this, will it take to write this story? There's an analogy I like to use, and this will be relevant on one aspect to some of you probably because you have one, perhaps. One of these two things is how schools work, right? Uh, an aircraft carrier or a mastercraft. Institutions like schools, churches, large organizations, they pivot like aircraft carriers. It takes a long time. So if you're, like, 2020 was a bear, what are we going to do? Don't expect to have this figured out by 2023. Your community took a long time to get to 2020, and it's going to take some time to get them in a place where you feel like, okay, now we're all kind of talking the same language here. That will turn like an aircraft carrier, long and slow. But keep turning the wheel. Keep turning the wheel. It's not a mastercraft. And some people think, if we just did this, if we just had this policy, if we just instituted this, everything would be good. And those tend to sort of flame up and flame out. And then we're right back where we started. So you have to decide in your school, are we sort of operating on aircraft carrier mode, reacting to everything long and slow? Are we operating on mastercraft mode, quick, uh, and like, whoops, after that? And that's not easy. That's, that's not easy at all. And uh, to wrap it up with a verse here, I'd like to finish the scripture. James chapter 2, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love the neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. That is a worldview passage also, right? And it's, I like the, the ending of that one from the ESV. So, um, literally out of time. So, if, there, if you have questions, please feel free to ask. If you would like to, if you, have a, if you want to correspond, dlanster at unitychristian.org. Feel free to email me. I will respond to you back. But thank you for being here, and uh, have a great rest of the day.